As you all know, one of the things we seek to do at Kaya is to always be as relevant as possible with the issues that really face us in our lives. And just want to give you a heads up that in October, we want to go back to something we haven't done in quite a while, which is allow you to ask those questions that are relevant for you. Uh, we encourage you to email and send in uh, questions. Again, I'm no expert in anything, but love to have the open dialogue with you all as we talk about the issues, both doctrinally and relationally, theologically. So if there's anything that you've always wanted to ask in church, but have not had an opportunity, it's not like when you go to worship, you can raise your hand and say, preacher, that's not what I want to hear today. Can you address this question instead? Um, this is an opportunity to do that. So if you'll submit those online to us, we're going to correlate them over the next few weeks and then also take a few live questions from the floor. Um, if you've ever been with us before, you know that this gets kind of lively um, and a little fun. Uh, so if you'd send that in, we greatly appreciate it. Tonight is yet another opportunity to deal with something very real and relevant. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles with me, if you will, to... John chapter 6. If we put that first slide up, A.V., that would be great. John chapter 6. Um, I want to read in your hearing two verses of Scripture that will prayerfully make sense um, as we get into the heart of what I believe God is speaking to us on tonight. John chapter 6. I want to read verse 14 and 15 out of the New International Version of the Bible um, and know that you'll be able to keep up with whatever version you have. Uh, quickly, John chapter 6 is the end of the testimony of the feeding of the 5,000. Um, that miracle that Jesus performs with uh, just a few loaves of bread and some fish, multiplies it, feeds some 5,000. Shake your head if you, if you, you know this one. Okay, okay. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, I know you know the water to wine one. I just want to make sure you know this one. Um, John 6, 14 and 15. Here's what happens at the end. And after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him a king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. When Jesus knew they were trying to make him a king, he got away from the crowd. We'll come back to that in just a few moments. Um, tonight, I want to, if we'll put that back up, are we good? So I can control, thank you. Um, we gave it the title, Real Likes and Fake Love, but I really want to talk about the intersection of Christianity and social media. Um, realizing that social media is one of the most prevalent and relevant realities of the world in which we live and yet it's one that we've never discussed in our Come As You Are worship experience. Um, I want to begin by making certain I know who's present so I know who I can relate to. If uh, you were born between 1995 and 2015, you are Generation Z. If your birthday is 95, 2015, raise a hand. Anybody? That's you, 95. Go on, go on, be proud of yourself, your young self. Amen. Do me a favor, if they got their hand up, smell that Similac on their breath. That's that, that's that formula. They're still young. They got a long way to go. Welcome. Welcome. All right, all the millennials, 1980 to 1994, if that's you, if that's you. Oh, my God. Well, um, I'm neither one of those. Um, I am proud Generation X. Uh, Hallelujah. If your birthday is between 65 and 79, raise a hand. All those, okay. Uh, you all ought to applaud us. We are the mature in the crowd. Um, um, I am a proud product of 1972, uh, which means that I am 47, getting ready to look 50 in the eye soon. And I want to let you know, in case you didn't, that back in Generation X days when we came of age, things were a whole lot different than they are right now. Um, this was our version of a flat screen television. Um, for those who don't know, this is called a floor model TV. Um, and before you laugh at us, there was a remote control. We were the remote control. Right? Uh, when mom and dad wanted the station changed, we came and changed it. The first knob went from channel one to channel 11 
And then the bottom channel, bottom knob went from 11 all the way to 60 something. Um, there were probably about four or five television stations at the time. And after 11.30, 12 o'clock, they all went off the air. Um, you did not watch TV late at night because there was no TV to watch. Um, that was our flat screen TV. And this was our version of Netflix and chill. Um, uh, we, we would, uh, For those that don't know, uh, on your left is a VCR tape uh, that we put in, and on the right was Jiffy Pop, because we did not have microwaves. You took Jiffy Pop, you put it on the stove over the fire, and you shook it until it started to pop. Um, and that was a good Friday night of Netflix and chill. Uh, when we wanted to listen to music, there was no uh, iPhone, there was no Apple tune, Apple iTunes. We had, um, if you want to listen to music in the house, we had an LP, a record player. And for those who know, there were three speeds, 78, 45, and 33 and a third. Um, and if the needle start to jump a little bit, don't worry, just get you some tape and a nickel. Um, and you tape it down, and if by chance it jumped a lot, you got a quarter and put it on top, and it'd keep it down to play real music. Uh, but if you were in the car, no, no, you didn't just listen to no iTunes, no Amazon music, all that. We had eight tracks, eight tracks. Uh, some of y'all like, what, and there were eight tracks, there were eight songs. Um, you could not rewind, you had to listen to it all the way through um, to get back to the song you want to listen to again. Um, and I remember my first eight track was Off the Wall by Michael Jackson. That was my favorite first eight track. That's the music we listened to. We didn't have MacBooks, we didn't have Chromebooks, we didn't have any kind of iPads. I had a Commodore 64. Um, it's my first computer. Um, the only thing that computer did was word processing. Um, and we had what's called a dot matrix printer. Now, if you don't remember dot matrix, then you are real young. Uh, you could hear it, da, 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 da. Uh, you had to tear the pages off and there were little scrolls on the end, you had to pull that off. Uh, amen. That, that was high tech back in the day uh, when we were Generation X. We didn't have Nintendo DS, we didn't have Switch, didn't have any of those handheld devices, but we sure had Mattel and that was that first football game that was so popular in our generation, and it had red dots that moved, and you moved the dots trying not to get touched, and that was um, our gaming system back in the day. And for those who don't know, this is called Sega Genesis. Uh, <laughs> this is the reason many of us almost failed out of college, amen. Uh, playing Sega Genesis and Sonic the Hedgehog, uh, we were, back in college. These were high tech back in our days. And texting? Texting? We didn't need to text. We had pagers. Now, now if you're from the hood, those are called beepers. Um, and that's the way we communicated. And there's certain marked beeper codes and language. Uh, 411 meant I need some information. 911 meant um, I was in trouble. Um, and if you t page 07734 and turn the page upside down, it would say hello, y'all. <laughs> There's one of these pay phones downstairs in the basement of the church, and I kid you not, my son walked by and asked me what was that. He had no clue because half of you all have never stopped to put a quarter in a pay phone to return the page that you got, but that was... That, that was good back in the day. Um, I remember the very first cell phone was that, that we had right there. Uh, there was no touch screen, there was no facial recognition, there were no apps. You couldn't put it in your purse or your wallet, uh, but you carried it around. Um, and we were real creative when cell phones first came out. We didn't need Bluetooth because we were creative. We knew how to make things happen. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I say all that to tell you that uh, a few things. One, um, I realize I'm getting old. 
um, because these are things I was raised on. And two, to just share with you how very different the world was just some 30 years ago. Um, even some 20 years ago, there are things that exist today that weren't even thought of in people's minds. The world is totally different. Um, and Generation X, more so than millennials, uh, we've witnessed the world change dramatically um, in the last 20 to 30 years. Whereas many of you all were born into things that still exist, for us, we watched them came into, come into being. I graduated college in 1994, and I kid you not, there was no internet in 1994. Uh, we barely had email. We had uh, collegiate email where you could mail other students and professors, but you couldn't email anyone around the world. Um, and our very first, I remember when Netscape came out and AOL in 1994. Y'all know about AOL, no, no, no. You, you, all, you all have high speed internet. I remember hearing the dial tone in the back as it dialed a number and your long distance phone bill went up because you were connected to AOL. Um, it was an entirely different world. And we have witnessed over the last 20 years the rise of social media in all of its platforms, almost to the point where a new platform is developed every six months that goes worldwide. Um, we've witnessed the coming of MySpace, um, if you remember that, yeah, yeah. I remember Black Planet. That was the early ratchet years. Uh, uh, of our lifestyle, no. Foursquare, Facebook, Pinterest, and Periscope, YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, and then subsequently Black Twitter, um, uh, Snapchat, and Tinder, <laughs> and of course Instagram. And one of the ways I know I'm getting older, and some of the Generation X can say man here, because there are new platforms coming out that I don't care to learn anything about. Um, there are new forms of social media that are being created, and I could care less. Um, I got off of Facebook because it was getting on my nerves. Um, I've shut down Twitter, and now I'm simply on Instagram, and I can't wait to get off of that. Um, whereas for the millennials, you all are continuing to ascribe to that. As a matter of fact, the average millennial um, excuse me, oh, no, the average millennial has seven social media accounts. Across all of those platforms, the average millennial has seven accounts. Now, this is Kaya, how many folk honestly count them most? Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, Facebook. How many of y'all got at least seven? At least seven. Econ. Folk get in church and start lying. Well, one of the things that is known is that 88% 88 of millennials engage in some form of social media every day. Um, whether that be to check this account, post, to tweet, um, to get on Snapchat, 88% um, use social media every day. As I said, the average millennial, according to sociology, has more than seven accounts. And what is interesting is that 88% of millennials use social media every day, but less than 50% voted in the presidential elections. I want you to think about that for just a moment, how we land where we've landed and why we have what we have. Uh, that that generation is more connected to social media daily than they are to the outcome of the nation. Um, and I pray that come 2020 with our elections, you all will help turn these numbers around. No one could have seen or predicted um, what social media was going to become, how fast it would become that, um, and how much it would grow and take over the world. As a matter of fact, one of the most common subjects in contemporary research in the academy is understanding the sociological impact and effect of social media around the world. Um, it is, uh, if you look at the dissertations that are being produced in sociology, and American civilization, the top numbers are always around the impact of social media. Um, I think one of the things the church drastically underestimated 
was what it would mean to live in a social media connected world um, and yet think that we were still isolated in our church circles. Think about this for a moment. The president of the United States, no matter how you feel about him, Twitter is his primary form of communication. More than presidential addresses, more than interviews before media, uh, because it allows a one-sided communication pattern without questions coming back that he's ill-prepared to answer. Um, and his base absorbs daily what he throws out one way and believes it. Twitter is the primary form of communication for the most powerful man in the world. That says something about social media. Um, as you probably know, social media has a worldwide dominant presence. Um, Twitter, there are 321 million people on Twitter, 1 billion on Instagram, and 2.7 billion people on Facebook. Um, five billion videos are watched daily on YouTube. Five billion a day are watched on YouTube. There's a sociologist by the name of Hans Kung who said that the world is imploding on itself. If you know that term, explode means to burst out. Implode means to be kind of drawn in. And what he argued is that the walls that used to separate us with nationality and ethnicity and culture and religion are all being torn down. And now what happens in China is known in America the minute it happens in China. Uh, that no longer are there these huge divides between people, uh, but we know what's happening immediately because the world is being drawn closer to itself. So there used to be an old question that was asked, uh, what does that have to do with the price of tea in China? Uh, the answer now is everything. You know, that what happens on your job does affect the price of tea in China. The world is imploding on itself. Um, and as a result, Hans Kung argued, and this was probably back in the late 80s, that the next tensions in the world would be religious, not national and ethnic, because the world implodes and the most um, the most tense place of friction are among religions. And so he argued that as Islam came into contact, closer contact with Christianity, and Christianity came into closer contact with Judaism, Judaism into closer contact with all the other world religions, that we would see more religious tension in the world than even we would nationality. And you're seeing that that's tending to be true, uh, that most of the tensions in the world are not based upon your nationality, they're based upon your religion. Um, the world is imploding on itself. Uh, one thing we know for certain as a result of social media, there are no secrets in the world. Um, everyone is a journalist, and every phone is a camera. Um, news spreads faster in a social media age than the news media can keep up with. Journalists and those who are on air know by the time they get to the 11 o'clock news, you already know about it, right? That um, social media has a way of making everyone a reporter. Everyone can report what's happening. So we were speaking about this in a pastoral conference. Um, we were speaking about some of the demise of um, some of the large religious figures in our world and how um, of late they've started crashing down and people are knowing about their indiscretions or their immoral decisions, et cetera, et cetera. And what I said to them was, I said, listen, so let me example, and this does not mean to demean anyone. We were speaking about the Eddie Long situation that happened a little while ago. I was in conversation uh, with Pastor Bryant at our conclave meeting, um, and we were talking about the impact of what happened with Eddie Long. And what I said was, you know, unfortunately and shamefully, that type of behavior has always existed in church. It was just kept quiet, and there was no social media to blast it, right? Uh, that, they were, that unfortunately, we've dealt with pedophilia before. Unfortunately, we've dealt with sexual immorality time and time again. There was just no network among people that advertised it. A, few, a handful of deacons knew about it, and they kept it quiet. Uh, nowadays, people find out about it. They're tweeting it. It's out. And you know this. Once it's out, it's out. 
right? So what's the biggest thing we're trying to teach young people, especially like my son's age, as they get ready uh, to apply to their colleges and stuff? Listen, be careful of what you tweet, what you post, what you put out there, because even if you pull it down, you never pull it down, right? It's always out there. Um, everyone is a reporter, and Twitter has become uh, the greatest news outlet in the world now, even more than CNN, even more than MSNBC, even more than Fox News. If you want to find out what's going on, you go to Twitter long before you turn on the television, right? No one's in front of TV, but your phone is always accessible to you. And because social media is accessible on the phone, we are really wired in and connected um, to all that's happening. Um, so it's got a real prominent presence in the world. None of us live outside of the domain of social media. My mother is turning 90, and she asked me to help her understand Instagram. I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> I'm not going to do that to you or to me. You have, you have no need. She's because, you know, my niece reached out, you know, and said, oh, yeah, Grandma, I posted something on Instagram. I want you to see the pictures, because she couldn't send the pictures to my mom's cell phone, because she got a flip phone, so she can't really see the pictures. So my niece said, go out to Instagram. So now my mama on me every day about getting an Instagram account. No. We know, no, no. You are 90 years old. You do not need an Instagram account. Here's the reality. Social media, like most things in the world, is a tool, right? And tools can be used for good or for bad to build up or to destroy. A hammer can be a very productive tool in the right hand with the right intention. Or a hammer can be a destructive weapon in the wrong hands with the wrong intention. The same thing can be argued about social media intention and whose hand it's in and their purpose for using it. And one of the things I'm going to ask you tonight is consider a question you probably have now. What is your purpose in social media? Why are you on this platform and what are you seeking to achieve? What is your intention? What is your goal? I think many of us, when new platforms come up, we just want to get on it. We want to see what's happening. But do you have a greater purpose? Um, why are you on and why are you using there are some challenges to social media that I think we need to embrace um, as we get into what I believe uh, the Lord pushes upon us to consider. So a few of the challenges of social media, and again, I'm no expert in this. Um, I've seen social media evolve. I've seen some of the destructive ways it's affected families and relationships and marriages. Um, I, I've, I've experienced and know that it goes down in the DM. <laughs> That's a bad place to be, bad place to be. Um, um, so um, I, I didn't know what the term slide into the DM meant, but I, finally, I finally, finally figured it out, Mark. I finally figured out what it means for somebody sliding your DM. Amen. All right. Um, I'm, I, we'll talk after, after church, Seven. We'll talk after church. Okay. Um, a few th challenges of social media that I think the the child of God, the Christian, ought to be aware of. Number one is that we know that social media primarily espouses and expounds negativity. Um, the positive platforms have smaller followings. Um, social media is at its best and viral when it's negative news, when it's something ratchet, when it's something that doesn't really glorify God. If you think about what goes viral, I would argue with you that 88% of what goes viral never brings any glory to the kingdom of God. At least 88%. Um, little memes, God's got it, don't worry about it. Eh, you know. Um, but let somebody put some ratchet stuff out, you know. Um, Floyd Mayweather versus 50 Cent, his stuff is going, you know, viral overnight. Uh, because it's mainly a platform for negativity, and we've got to be careful about that as we put our presence in it. As a child of God, you are entering a negative atmosphere. And the question I ask you is, what is the responsibility of a child of God in the midst of darkness? If, if, if social media is primarily negativity, and we agree to that, everyone's like, mm, what is the responsibility of a child of God in the midst of a negative, dark environment? I remind you of what Matthew 5, 16 says, let our light shine so that men and women may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. So I want to ask you a question. Is your light shining through your presence on social media? We'll come back to that. Another real challenge with social media that um, 
that I think most of us have experienced is that it caters to anonymous immaturity. Right? That there are people who get to do things on social media that you would never do face to face with me. Right? I think what's the biggest issue on Facebook with young people? Bullying. Right? And you and I both know anybody can be a gangster on the other side of a keyboard. Right? Anybody can be hard on the other side of a phone. Right? I was raised in the era, say it to my face. Right, right. You got something to say it's in my face. Tevin, we, you know, we, th- we used to do this in someone's face. Man, I dare you, man. I dare you, man. I dare you, bro. I dare you, man. I dare you. What, what, what? What, what? what? And then, what, what's up? What you, what you gonna do? What you gonna do? What you gonna do? What you gonna do? And that's about as hard as you get, because, you know, shoot, if we swing, it's really going down. But, you know, at least I'm gonna act bad. What's up? What's up? What's up? Uh, you know, but there's, think about, think about how many people, their immaturity is fueled by what they get to do on social media. Give an example, trolling, right? So you watch what someone posts, then watch all the responses. Who's got time to read every comment that's, that's a comment from someone else that someone else posted, and now I gotta give an account for who gave a comment. I don't even know who that was. It's just that kind of immature behavior, following and making threats over social media, all these fights that want to break out. You ain't about to do nothing. Um, But there's an immaturity that is fueled and fostered by the ability to remain anonymous. Um, And I think social media caters to that in a way that we've got to be careful. Social media validates illegitimate sources and unverified information. Um, now, you should know by now, you can't re- believe everything you see on the internet. Um, but there are a whole lot of people who make comments that really wouldn't gain any kind of traction if they weren't on social media. My dad had a saying, he said, always judge what you hear by who it came from. And the reality is that on social media, you don't get to know who it came from. I mean, you may know a name, but you don't know if this person is valid, if they're credible, if they got a real issue or not. Um, And a lot of information that gets out there is just unverified, but it comes out as truth. Um, And it's one of those negative challenges of social media. Number four, social media creates an unhealthy fascination with celebrity culture and status. Um, If if celebrity is being well-known among a crowd, it's amazing to me how many people with no talent in any way, shape, or form reach celebrity status through really ratchetness on social media. Let me give you an example. Every member of the cast of Love and Hip Hop, every single member of the cast of Love and Hip Hop has no talent. All right. Not that I watch the show, you know, I'm just saying. Um, and people gain traction and followings and all of a sudden become Instagram models and are paid to advertise things on their pages. Um, and 30 years ago, this, you, you, you didn't reach the status without some type of talent, something that merited that type of exposure with people. And now the more ratchet you are, right? The more, the more ladies, sometimes the more you expose yourself and your body on Instagram, the more followers you get, you know, male followers. So I was speaking with someone today who um, is in the marketing business and they're trying to market um, a feminine uh, beauty product, and they wanted one of the Instagram models uh, who's got a million plus followers, but the problem is all those followers are men, right? So they don't want to use the model because she's going to advertise something her followers ain't going to buy, right? But she's got a million male followers because every post she puts on Instagram is something that's revealing, you know, something that caters 
to what the eye sees, caters to that lust in the spirit. It's almost like soft porn to a certain degree, if we can be honest. Um, and this, this false celebrity is a problem that I think social media brings, and with it, not only a fascination, but a pursuit to social media validation. Um, when you post, you wanna know how many likes you get. When you tweet, how many retweets did you get? How many followers? How many friends? Am I verified? I didn't know that that was a huge thing. Everybody wants to be verified on Instagram as if that somehow validates who you are and what you are. Then now it's not the quality of who I am and what I bring and what I produce, but do I have that blue check mark next to my name? Um, and that's what people search after. Um, one thing I didn't put up here and the Lord reminded me of is that Instagram also um, caters to um, a real destructive sense of comparison. Yeah. Yeah. That, that I'm always comparing my numbers to someone else's numbers. Um, I'm comparing, and, and, and we're all guilty, I'm not gonna ask you to wave a hand, but there probably been some moments when there's someone you didn't like and to make certain that you felt valid, you looked at their numbers, your numbers are higher, and you, well, that's right, that's what they get. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> that's what they get. Um, and they create, it creates an unstable and inauthentic sense of identity, beauty, and security. Um, who I am is now vested in the hands of this crowd of people that I don't even know who have followed. Um, or what, what young women see as beautiful is now identified by what they see on the gram um, and what's coming out. And even this sense of security that I have to have certain numbers or um, have certain followers and certain likes in order to affirm who I really am. And it becomes really destructive uh, in younger people who rest their identity in this crowd and these numbers of people you probably will never know, but now you've given them the authority to determine how you feel about yourself and what you sense. And you know, we've, we've all been there. I remember when I you know, first got on Instagram, I'd be upset if I didn't get a li likes on this picture and post. What was wrong with it? And you know, sat down with the communications team at Alpha Street. Y'all gotta do better. You know, I gotta... <laughs> Jamal got 300,000 followers. I only got you know, a couple, couple thousand, and they said, well, Jamal's done some things too, and you know, it helps get, get more followers. I said, okay, I get it. Um, so, <laughs> inside joke. All right. Um, you know, but does that, does that make me valid? So, one of the things, as I was praying about tonight, given these realities, I was immediately drawn to what we read earlier in John chapter 6. Okay. Stay with me for a moment. Jesus arguably is at the height of his ministry other than raising Lazarus from the dead. There are two things that lift Jesus high in the eyes of the people of Galilee. One is raising Lazarus from the dead. Right? John 12 says that the raising of Lazarus from the dead was so powerful and so many people followed him that that's when the Pharisees said, we got to kill him. It was the popularity of the crowd after the raising of Lazarus. The only other miracle that comes close to that type of popularity for Jesus is feeding 5,000. Think about it. It's 5,000 men, not counting women and children. So arguably, there are more than 12,000 people who witnessed this man feeding us with little fish and a little bread. Jesus is at his height of popularity. And the Bible says in John 6 that when the crowd, after they had eaten, saw the sign Jesus had performed, they tried to rush him and make him a king. This is it. We are following him. His numbers are high. He's got to be a king. And the Bible says that when Jesus saw a crowd coming after him to make him a king, he escaped. He left a mass of people who wanted to elevate him and withdraws. Why does Jesus avoid the approval and affirmation of the crowd? Why does Jesus model for us that sometimes numbers are deceptive? 
Why does Jesus model that sometimes you've got to get away from seeking affirmation and approval from a large crowd of people? Why does Jesus in contemporary language suggest to us that your followers really don't matter, your likes really don't matter, your retweets really don't matter, your friends on Facebook really don't matter? Why get away from all those numbers? Could it be number one, crowds cannot and do not confirm purpose? that a large following doesn't mean you're actively living in the purpose for which you're created. Here's the problem. The crowd wants to make Jesus a king. Jesus did not come to be a king. He came to be a savior. And if he allowed the crowd to determine his purpose, he would have tried to be something God never created him to be. Crowds, numbers, followers, friends tend to push you into things that they don't have discernment of whether it was God's purpose for you or not. And you've got to be careful of seeking approval of crowd, thinking that the more claps, the more likes, the more retweets, the more you must be moving where God wants you to be. The crowd can absolutely deceive you into thinking that you're all right, you're anointed, you're, you're doing well, this is what God has for you, this is my purpose, this is my goal, this is who I've been called to be. Not at all. Crowds can't confirm purpose. I suggest to you secondly that Jesus leaves because crowds are fickle and unreliable. Um, I don't know who to tell you this to, but you can't count on your Facebook friends. You can't count on followers. Very fickle. Turn on you in a minute. And if anybody knew this, it was Jesus. See how many church folk I got. There, there's a, there's a, a Sunday um, that Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. Um, and when he comes into Jerusalem, a huge crowd is gathered because they've heard about Lazarus. They've heard about the 5,000. Now he's in the capital city and the crowd gathers and they are shouting his name. Woo, gee, Hosanna. Hosanna. That was Sunday. Friday morning. Outside of Pilate's window, you hear another crowd gathered together some of the same jokers who were there on Sunday, ooh, Jesus, Hosanna. And now they're hollering, kill that brother. <laughs> Crucify him. Crowds are fickle. Crowds are unreliable. Numbers on social media can be very unreliable. They don't affirm who you really are. They don't acknowledge what God has created you to be. They don't point you in the right direction. So, as a Christian, as a young Christian, I would encourage you to, be, to have a few questions in mind as you engage social media. I'm not saying social media is inherently bad. Remember, it's a tool. Purpose and intent. There's certain things I want you to be purposeful of and mindful of as you continue to engage social media. I'm not calling for this vast Christian exodus off of Instagram. Um, though I don't think you have any business on Tinder, that's a whole nother subject. Um, I'm not calling for some mass exodus off Facebook. There, there, there can be something positive, but we gotta remember it's mainly negative. So what do we need to do? So as a Christian, I wanna encourage you to do a few things. Ask this question. Has social media become an idol in your life? What is an idol? Remember, one of the, the very first commandment God gives the children of Israel when they come out of bondage is, you have no other God before me. Don't put anything before me. And that is part of our walk with the Lord. What defines us is that I've made a covenant commitment that nothing is more important to me than God. No crowd, no people, no accolades. Nothing is more important to me than God. And I'll suggest to you that something is slightly off with your Christianity if you're comfortable with anything or anyone having a higher priority or precedence in your life than your relationship with God, if you are willing to sacrifice your peace with God for anything else or anyone else, something is slightly off in your walk with God. If you're willing to tell God no so you can tell her yes, something is off with your walk with God. That God, 
God is either Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Right? I'm either first or I'm nothing. God doesn't know any position other than first place. Right? No position. So, if when you wake up in the morning, before you even bow and thank God for another day, you know where I'm going. And the first thing you do is grab your phone to check social media, you have an idolatry problem. Think about how much time you spend on social media platforms versus how much time you spend in prayer. I'm gonna give you a minute. Go ahead and think about that. How many times do we check social media versus how many times we actually read our Bibles? Again, I'm not saying social media is bad, but I'm saying it can become an idol if friends and likes and followers is more important than hearing God say, well done, then you've got an idol problem. The Apostle Paul put it like this in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Lord, I know I'm getting old. Hold on. All right. Uh, am I now trying to win the approval of people or of God? Am I simply trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not, could not be a servant of Jesus Christ. That if getting those numbers up means that much to me, there's no way I can be a servant of Jesus Christ. I want you to read Matthew 6 when you get home, that whole passage, you cannot serve two masters. When you read it correctly, here's what Jesus says, what you see determines what's in your heart. Right? So what you're looking at really determines what's in your heart, and what's in your heart determines who you're going to serve. And you cannot serve God and money. Really, it doesn't even have to be money. You cannot serve God and any other thing because God draws a line in the sand. And either you're on God's side or you're not. Right? And if anything is more pressing to you than pleasing God, you've got an idolatry problem. So I'm not saying get off Instagram. I'm saying pray before you get on it in the mornings. Right? Nothing wrong with checking who liked your post or retweeted it. But, but how about reading a little scripture before you get there? Can we put God first? For those that know the Bible, Matthew 6 again, verse 33. If you put God first, everything else will be given unto you. If you put God first, everything else lines up. Now, Generation Z, you don't know nothing about that. Millennial, you finding out. But on behalf of Generation X, who've been there and done that, allow us to testify that when you get God at the top, everything else just kind of falls into place. Has social media become an idol? Second question I want you to ask, or be mindful of, your Christian witness on social media. Our witness is something we really don't talk about a lot about the fact that we are called to bear witness of Jesus Christ. Now, see, here's the problem. Because in church, you've always been told that evangelism being a witness, uh, you either associated with going out on Saturday, handing out tracts, knocking on doors, or getting into theological debates where you can prove to people that Jesus Christ is Lord. And none of that is what we were called to be. We are called to bear witness, which means that when people look at us, our lives ought to testify to the presence of Jesus Christ. You, you don't have to understand theodicy. You don't even have to know the difference between Revelations and Genesis. But your life and how you live, conduct, character, conversation, ought to bear witness to Christ's presence in your life. Amen. You know what Paul said? It's one of my favorite scriptures. He says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. This is the whole, some things are lawful, they're not expedient. And what Paul really means is, as a Christian, there's a lot I can do, but everything I do is not beneficial because some things I do as a Christian that I have the right to do, they harm my witness. So let me give you an example. You know, I've, I've said this, and we're going to have a, a Kaya on it uh, coming up about the appropriate and inappropriate use of alcohol. You know, I'm, I'm not that... that Old school, you know, if you drink, you're going to hell. I don't believe in that. Um, I'm an ownophile. Uh, you look that up when you get home. Um, uh, means I love quality wines. I love good wines. Um, uh, amen. <laughs> Opus one is God's will for my life, I'm going to tell you. Uh, um, but, you know, I also know that I bear witness as a pastor. So, give me an example. 
I, I do a lot of weddings, and inevitably with every wedding I do, there's always a question asked, Pastor, are you staying for the reception? No. Don't be offended. I'm not staying for the reception. Why am I not staying for the reception? Hmm? Hmm? Right, right. Why am, why am I not staying for the reception? Okay, let's think about it. Um, number one, because I can't drink in front of you, right? I, I, I could, because I'm not going to hell if I do, but I understand that you may have a cousin at that wedding who saw me standing up here marrying y'all and then sees me with a glass of wine and they're going to start questioning the authenticity of the ministry. Now, and I could say, well, they helped him, you know, I'm just, they, 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 no. <laughs> or I could take my witness seriously and realize that, that, that I'm held accountable for that. Another reason I don't stay is not only because I'm not drinking in front of you, you're not comfortable drinking in front of me. You know, I, it's a funny me whenever I come around, people, you know, put the glass down, you know. <laughs> Why are you hiding it? <laughs> you know, um, um, that we ought to take our witness seriously. That I want people, if, if anybody thinks they know you, and one of the very first things they don't know about you is that you're a Christian. I want you to remember what Jesus says in Mark 8, 38. If anyone is ashamed of me in this sinful generation, when I come back, I'll be ashamed of them. If you live your life like you're ashamed to be a Christian, that's, that's dangerous. So one of the things I want to ask you, make sure I get the right slide up. If Jesus was following you on social media, would he know you were following him in life? Tweet that, tweet that, tweet that. <laughs> somebody, somebody take a picture of me and so I can put, post it. Um, see how many likes I get on that one, right? Um, if Jesus was one of your followers, on social media, would Jesus know you were following him in real life? For some, the answer would be absolutely not because there's nothing on your social media that bears witness to Jesus Christ. Nothing even gives a hint. And the closest thing you got is your outfit that you're going to brunch in after church. Some of us, it may be confusing. Like, Jesus may be confused. Like, I, I, I don't know. Sometimes, yes. Some, like, it, it, the Bible says a double-minded person is unstable. Um, sometimes I, I just, and there's another thing. The Bible says, you know, that, that the same mouth that praises shouldn't curse, right? Like, there's just something about being bilingual, bipolar double that confuses folk. And I find it hard with these religious memes, but then you post provocative pictures. Now, now I really came to ask this because I, I had a deep debate with a member over this. Not persuasive, but again, especially to the sisters, because I, I don't think, I think dudes post a lot of selfies, another issue. Um, So, and you have to answer this question for you. What is your intent on posting the selfie you just posted? What is the intent? And, and the member I had to debate with, the, the problem I had was that the posts were always provocative and revealing. You know, she goes brawless on everything, and is that the, I'm not at parties, you know, turn up, turn up. I'm like, but, but, but you lead one of our children's ministries, right? That's why I had the conversation, right? You, you lead one of our children's ministries, right? And, I, and I'm not here to judge, but I'm telling you, that's not a good witness. That's an immaturity. So what is the purpose? And she can never answer. Why would you intentionally, as a ministry leader, also post a picture of you with a shirt on almost revealing all of your breasts? 
I, I just don't get it. If you tell me why, maybe it'll make sense. Well, you know what? It, it doesn't have to make sense to me. But here's what I do believe. Hear me clear, I'm, I'm, I'm almost done here. How much of our life are we gonna to have to give an account for? The social media account. In my judgment, what happens if the Lord brings out my Instagram page? And I get given an account. I mean, we, what? I mean, what do you say when the Lord goes, explain this? You know, uh, Lord, I was trying to pray over, you know. Uh, Again, if Jesus is following you on social media, is there anything that lets him know you're following him? That's, that's just our witness. And some people struggle with Christianity, not because of what we teach and believe, but because how you and I live. And we're held accountable for that. And I'm not telling you you have to be perfect. None of us are. But effort counts. Is your purpose for using social media misaligned with God's purpose for your life? That's the question I asked the member I was speaking to. So you have to explain that, that selfie. But is that misaligned with your purpose? Or are you one that tries to balance and say, well, you know what? I can get away with this because I'm also in children's ministry. That, that's not how God works. This isn't a, you know, I do this much sin, I read this much Bible, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm right in the middle. Um, all right, it's getting quiet. <laughs> I want to encourage you to dare to be different. If being a Christian means anything, it means that sometimes we're just absolutely different. The challenge with social media is that it wants to push us to blend in with the world. And we are not of the world. God has called us out of that to be absolutely different. Something about you ought to be strange. The Bible says that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. People supposed to look at you strange. Your presence ought to make some people uncomfortable. If people blatantly sin in front of you and don't care because they know you, like, I'm supposed to make you uncomfortable. I'm supposed to make you rethink. My life is supposed to be unique and different. That we're not meant to chameleon in. You know, I've, I've preached about it. You know what the chameleon is in life, this, this animal that has the ability to blend into whatever environment. If it's around something green, turns green. If it's around something brown, turns brown. Around something gray, it turns gray. And biologists would tell you it's a defense mechanism. It's a survival technique that because um, the chameleon doesn't have any fangs or claws or predatory behavior, that the way it survives is just blending in. So when it gets around something over here, it's got to blend in over here. And if it gets around something over here, it tries to blend in over here because it, it thinks it's saving itself. Biochemically, every time a chameleon changes its color, it takes three days off of its life. Wow. Wow. So every time it gets in a new environment, it says, oh, let me blend in so I can live, you're killing yourself. Wow. Every time you try to fit and blend and be popular on social media, how much of your Christianity are you killing? Right? That we are called to be different. And I just want to dare you to be different. I'm not telling you to get off social media. I'm not telling you to get off Instagram. But dare to be different. Favorite passage, Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In my prayer tonight, 
is that a mind has been renewed. That someone may be challenged to go out and use your social media platform differently. No longer just posting selfies of you and the girls drinking and turning up and toasting and you and the fellas out doing ratchetness. <laughs> but do you dare to use your platform in a way that lets people go, oh, she one of them. Oh, he's a Christian. Because the minute you come out the closet as a Christian, people hold you accountable for it. The times I wish I could hide Reverend Dr. Pastor Alpha Street Baptist Church. I got sin on my mind and I just want, you know. <laughs> but I can't. Everywhere I go. Ain't you the pastor? No, I, I get that all the time, girl. I get that all the time. <laughs> I just look like him. I don't know where he is. No. Come out. Come out. Come out from among the unclean. Come out from around the world and let your light shine. Don't be conformed to this world, but be renewed by the transforming of your mind. Pray with me. God, our world has gifted us a tool called social media. And in many hands and in many hearts, it's a negative tool that is used to destroy and brings no glory to your name or your saving love on the cross of Christ. But you've called us out of darkness to bear witness to that, not only when we sit in sanctuaries, but when we're posting, when we're tweeting. Whenever we're on social media, God, remind us that we are a unique people and that if my page bears no witness of you, I'm living like I'm ashamed of you. You said in Mark 8 that that means you'll be ashamed of me. And God, I don't want that on the last day. I don't want any brother or sister in this place to have you come and say, I don't know you. I want you to say, well done. So Lord, help us to use this tool in a way that bears witness to the light of Christ in our lives. That all those who come to our page and see our posts and read our tweets would say there's something strange about that. That she or he is talking about the love of Jesus Christ openly that my pictures bear witness of my love of you and the love you have of me. This is our prayer and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we close, I went to um, the doctor yesterday. I had my physical exam. And I was grateful to God that, you know, you do the blood work and all the numbers were fine. And she says, well, you know, you've got some risks and some things that are pointing in the wrong direction. Your A1C is slightly elevated. Your cholesterol is higher than I'd like it to be. Uh, your blood pressure is slightly elevated. She said, none of you requires medication now. She said, but the way you're living now, you're going to have a problem 20 years from now. And that's what she said to me. And my job is to stop it now. I'm not saying anyone here is dead wrong on anything. But the direction you're pointed in is going to be a problem down the road. And my job tonight is to stop it right now. To tell you that there is, there is a higher calling on your life and more that God has in store for you and you can stop it right now. All you've got to do is say yes to Jesus and go all in. All you got to do is wake up every morning and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm all in. Maybe just maybe Kaya will produce a generation of Christians that are not halfway this, not straddling the fence, but young adults in this DMV who are all the way in for Jesus and realize that it doesn't mean that I can't enjoy life. That doesn't mean I can't have friends. It doesn't mean I just lay it out the altar and fast and pray every day of my life. 
but I can be all in and enjoy my best life now and 20 years from now. So after this worship service, after I give the benediction, there's some deacons here, some ministers. They're going to be right down here at the front. And if you desire to stop the direction you're going in right now and to give your life to the Lord, to be all the way in, it'd be their joy to share with you how that journey begins. So if we'll stand all over this place, I'm going to bless us out. And if you're here and you're ready to join in with us, come on down afterwards. It'd be our pleasure to share with you how much God loves you. Lord, thank you for being with us tonight and allowing us to be with you. Thank you for my neighbor on my pew in front and behind. Lord, I'm praying over them right now. The names I met earlier, I'm praying for you to have a good night of sleep. I mean, rest in the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. I'm talking about your mouth wide open, snoring, <laughs> drool coming out the side of your lip kind of sleep because you know that God's got it. And I pray that you wake up tomorrow filled with the joy of the Lord and may the joy of the Lord be your strength. And may somebody tomorrow, by the way you live and the way you post, know you're a child of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, go in the grace of God, may the grace of God go with you. We'll see you next month.